If you've been coming here over the last several weeks, you know that we have been spending the month of January to remind ourselves of essential truths. And so today we've got this week and next week, and we will wrap up this series. Uh, We've titled The Five Solas. That's not anything unique to us. It's a way that we have described throughout this event in human history called the Reformation uh, that these truths really got solidified. So we're just unpacking those, seeing them in the scripture, reminding ourselves of essential things because we have learned If we let go of any of these, well, the church dies. They're so essential to the core of who we are. Uh, And so today, hopefully, will be no different. So as we've been doing, a little old school here, you're going to repeat after me. Nothing wrong with repeating truths that we believe, right? That's always good for us to remind ourselves. And so I I want you to repeat after me. Are you ready? Uh, Just two more weeks of this, but, but you've been doing great, all right? According to Scripture alone... Humans are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen. That sounded good. You notice this week, I even went more specific. Jared and I uh, were talking pastorally, thinking about how wonderful this series has been, uh, but thinking about how beautiful salvation is. And wanted to just be even more precise this morning that these truths arise out of a time period when they were thinking through how is a man justified? How is a woman justified before the Lord? And that's where these truths came from. But these truths are so essential to our understanding of how God works, you've noticed each and every week we've talked about how these things are so essential to our justification, and we've said salvation, but the reality is, is when you say salvation, that is a rich, glorious term that the scripture often refers to our salvation as a comprehensive work of God in our lives. Not only from our justification, not only for our conversion, but also for our sanctification. We've tried each and every week to apply some of these terms also to sanctification. You've noticed each week we talked about grace alone and how it's uh, uh, our, our justification is ground in him, not us and ourselves, but also our sanctification. Our ongoing growth and development is because of his grace alone. So we've tried to see and observe just how glorious all these truths are in all of our salvation. But we want to be clear. These things arise out of a time when the church was really discovering and really coming back to how is a man or woman justified before the Lord. Well, it was indeed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This morning, we have the joy to arrive at the focal point. Turn to Hebrews 10. That'll be our main text we'll look at, uh, though we will be talking a lot about the book of Hebrews. But this morning, we arrive at the focal point of all that we have been talking about for the last few weeks. Have you realized that every string, if you will, of this great statement that we have said together for four weeks, that all of these strings culminate 
in Christ alone. Listen to the statement again. It bears repeating because it's just that good. According to the scriptures alone, we are saved, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Solus Christus, if you want to get real fancy with it, it stands at the center. Christ alone stands at the center of all of those other statements. You see, Scripture points to Christ alone. Grace is given and most evident, seen through Christ alone. Faith is directed towards, you guessed it, Christ alone with complete trust and dependence. And Christ declares the gloriousness of God. Christ alone is at the center. If there was one message that I had to preach every day of my life and you only gave me one, it would be this. Christ alone. This morning, let us together establish the uniqueness of Christ as our Savior. And in doing so, I believe that we are going to conclude with a resounding amen that there is indeed no other way but in Christ. Now, to do this, we could point to a host of scriptures, but we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, a glorious book that if you never spent time in, you should. Read it this week. You will benefit greatly from it. But this book, the book of Hebrews, it actually stands alone in its unpacking of the person of Christ. And as it unpacks the person of Christ, it, it uses that reality of who he is to make Christ work the only sufficient means to be right with God. Hebrews, oftentimes labeled the great preacher, because he can bring it. He's good. The preacher understands, and we see it all throughout the pages of the book of Hebrews, that Christ alone stands above all others. And come to find out, he is the only adequate and right focus for our salvation. He, Christ, alone is the only place for us to stake our lives on. He alone is the only place to stake our lives upon. The preacher here in Hebrews is an astute scholar. He's rather sharp. <laughs> He's so astute in his understanding of Scripture, carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is seen in his way that he understands the Old Testament's teaching of the coming Savior. Not only is he real astute in his scholarship, but he is also extremely pastoral and calling us all to consider. And not only consider Christ, but also to follow Christ, to follow him alone in no other means, to put our faith in Christ alone as the only worthy focus. 
He knows, as one scholar put it, the triune God of the universe, in infinite wisdom and power, has chosen to bring all of his purposes and plans to fulfillment in the person and work of Christ. If there was an overarching theme of Hebrews, it would be that how Christ is the culmination that all the infinite wisdom and power of God is brought to bear and his purposes fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. This is the book of Hebrews. And this is why we are so grateful for it being in our Bibles. If we had any hesitation, our lack of understanding of who Christ was is, Hebrews makes it plain for us. It does this by pointing to the Old Testament. And you could make a strong argument that Hebrews is only a book of what the entire scriptures do. Point to Jesus. Now, this morning, uh, we can't cover the whole book, though I would love to in one setting. But, <laughs> hey, man, pack a lunch, let's go. Um, but it has caused me at some point, as a church, we are going to go through this book. But the book of Hebrews is so rich. And so this morning, let us start with the identity of Jesus. Who was he? Now, you will understand that as we talk about his identity, his person, if you will, that cannot help but bleed over into his work. Why is his work so unique and so wonderful and so adequate? Because of who he is. So establishing who he is makes his work just that much more overwhelming. So you'll see that we will bleed in and out of the person of Christ into the work of Christ. We're going to do that because the text does that. It moves in and out. As it establishes who Christ is, it makes his work all the more sufficient. And what does Hebrews do? Well, it begins with this really famous statement. If you've ever been in church or read Hebrews, it begins like a, a, a nice movie, long ago and at many times. Sounds like a, a movie scroll, right? Just coming down. down, down. No, anyway, um, long ago... And at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. That's fairly dense in understanding who Christ is. But do you hear how Hebrews begins? That's chapter 1, the first three verses. Hebrews begins by stating what? That Jesus is God's son. And because he is God's son, he is a better prophet. That his word is better for us. And consequently, his identity as being God's son, well, that just makes his words to us just a tad bit more important. I wouldn't say more better, but that would show off my 
lack of grammar skills, but it makes Christ and his words far better for you and I. Now, it doesn't make the prophets any less authoritative, right, in what they said, because they were speaking on behalf of God himself. But they are not God's son. Their prophecy was from God and pointed to God, but they certainly, in and of themselves, are not as verse 3 states. Did you catch that? The radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. When no prophet who understands what he is doing would ever declare that about themselves. Yes, they spoke for God, but Christ, Jesus, is superior because of his identity. And consequently, his work of telling us about God is sufficient. He indeed has a better word. Give me Jesus. And what's interesting about this is that all that the prophets said, do you know where they find their fulfillment? I can't even get the word out. Their fulfillment, all that they said is fulfilled in Christ. So not only him being God's son, does he have a better word, but in him culminates all that the prophets declared. Jesus himself said in Luke 24 that all of the scriptures from Moses to the prophets are about him. Now, if you spent the Christmas season with us, we saw that clearly during the month of Advent. But the preacher here, he goes on to further develop that Christ indeed is alone, not only because he has a better word, because he's God's son, but he goes on to say this, that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So here in these first four verses, he is a better prophet. He is God's son. And uh, maybe many of you didn't wrestle with this this morning, but he's also better than angels. Why is it that the scriptures in here highlights this person as superior to angels? Well, it doesn't take much research, as one scholar said, to understand this, that angels were objects of much speculation in first century Judaism. Certainly, they were known to appear in human form, to minister before the very throne of God, to guide and protect humans, and to have revealed the Mosaic law. But Jesus in case anyone was misunderstanding, in case anyone was putting greater dependence and faith in angels, the preacher of Hebrews looks to the congregation and says, Jesus is better. He is far greater than them. Because as Hebrews says, and God never says about angels, that you are my son. <laughs> never stated about them. The scriptures tell us that he, God, gave to his son the throne. He anointed his son. He declared him to be the long-awaited Messiah. There is a difference. So here in the first four verses of this book, notice the theme. 
Notice the 30,000-foot view once you get to the mountaintop. What is it? Superior. In four quick verses, the preacher leads out to set Christ alone from all other things. And what we are learning is that he is far superior in his words, in his person. Christ is unique and exclusive. Now, just on those first four verses, we could conclude and be uh, uh, encouraged as we walk out the door. But the book of Hebrews does not stop there. The preacher goes on with scholarly rigor to continue to develop Christ alone as the only sufficient salvation for us. If you fast forward to chapter 3, it tells us that Jesus is a better mediator than Moses. Now, the great Moses was held high, a very wonderful example of faithfulness to God. So Hebrews appeals to this figure as an example of what was really to come. And guess what that was? Christ's faithfulness to God. Therefore, he is a better representative for us in keeping covenant with God. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Hebrews 3, 5 through 6 says. Now, Moses was faithful. Yeah, he was faithful. In all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You see, Christ alone has the exclusive title of son. And where all other human mediators fail, he does not. Hebrews is building a case for Christ alone. And as if this wasn't good enough for us, he moves further down the line. And he says, where all other mediators failed, Christ succeeded. This is most clearly seen in the priesthood. Now let's fast forward to chapter 10. The text we'll look at a little bit more deeper this morning. So this is the backdrop of chapter 10. Already declaring how glorious and superior Christ is, we get to Hebrews 10. And the overarching point of this chapter is Jesus is a better priest than the Levitical priest. More effective, more efficient than the sacrificial system the priest had to carry you know anything about Old Testament scripture? The priests went before the people to atone, make sacrifices for sin. But he had to go over and over and over. So this is good news. So Hebrews 10. It unpacks that the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. Listen as I read some of Hebrews 10. Now I'm going to read, we typically read out of the ESV. I'm going to read through the New Living Translation just because I think it reads really well. So listen to this. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. 
if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually remain, or actually reminded them of their sins year after year. And here's the conclusion, for for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's a system that in the end can't do what it's declaring that it's doing. It's a repeated system that brings such a great burden and a constant reminder that you, I, are in desperate need. For it never satisfied. It never completely atoned for our sins. Don't you love how Hebrews 10 identifies this priestly activity? A shadow. What a great analogy that this sacrificial system that the priest diligently kept, kept it religiously, way better than you keep all of your promises. (laughs) Religiously, All that he did, serving the body to try to make amends for sins, to atone, to shed the blood, year after year after year, was only a shadow. Shadow is a perfect way to describe all the things in the Old Testament, leading up towards the moment in history when God took flesh. It's almost as the Old Testament kind of props up the New Testament, and it kind of gives it life, and it tells us emphatically that Jesus is the only way to accomplish all that was given in the Old Testament. Oh, you cannot read your Bibles well without the Old Testament. It gives us clarity. It gives us uh, a clear picture forward. It shadows of what was to come. Here's how one scholar put it, and I thought it was so good, even though this is lengthy, it's so good. As God progressively revealed himself through his covenants with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Israel, and then David, it became clear, hear this, it became clear that God himself would have to act in order to redeem humanity and restore creation through the coming of his own kingdom. But the covenantal developments also revealed that a man, a son, the king, must redeem humanity through suffering. Once again, we saw this so clearly during Advent. To then reign over a restored creation as God's righteous vice-regent and faithful covenant partner. A man must come to represent God on the earth. A man must live in covenant obedience to God. A man must bear the covenant curse on behalf of a disobedient humanity. And a man must rule with the character of God over the earth. This is what the Old Testament reveals. And here is where Christ stands above all others. And this is what the preacher of Hebrews is drawing us into. Take anything from the Old Testament and Christ is better. All of that was a shadow of pointing forward. 
Now, this scholar is right, not because he's intelligent, because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> that's exactly what Hebrews 10 goes on to say. Listen as I continue to read, starting in verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. Even Jesus seems to understand that all has been pointing to him. He goes on to say in verse 6, you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. Uh, You skip down to verse 11, and the preacher of Hebrews continues. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day. How tiring. (laughs) Knowing that he'll be back tomorrow to do it again, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but our high priest, (laughs) oh, praise the Lord, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Don't you love that little addition? Good for all time. It doesn't cease to be irrelevant. It's good for all times. You have a past. It's good for all time. And he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled, made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Brothers and sisters, we sit on this side of of history with lots of wonderful thinking about Christ, and we as a church make plain to say this over and over again, but how refreshing that must sound to a people who have constantly done everything that they can, all that Scripture instructed them and always arriving just a tad short. Don't you love even how the text is presented day after day, again and again, right? Just to draw us in to the repetition of pointing towards something even better. The priest stood day after day. And Hebrews 10 enters in to explain to us just how glorious Christ is. Hebrews 10 Did you catch it? It unashamedly teaches this, the exclusivity of Jesus. There is no other means. There is no other way we get saved. (laughs) There is no way that salvation is possible. It declares and screams through multiple ways, and we just looked at a few, that there is an exclusivity to this person. And because of that, there's an exclusivity to his work. There's just no other means. And that actually is refreshing. (laughs) And that actually is good news for you and I. You see, Jesus is the perfect one who is fitted with human flesh to take our place. You see, the text says that it is impossible for 
the blood of bulls and goats to be an adequate sacrifice. Therefore, God took flesh as the only adequate sacrifice because he's the one uniquely fitted to do the work that you and I just can't do. Look at the priest. Just the other day, I was hiking with a few friends, and we got to talking about this uh, show called The Rescue. And I think I've mentioned it before here, but it's the uh, retelling of the soccer team in Thailand who got stuck in a cave. The flood comes, and the water rises, and they can't get out, right? So it's covered over in water, uh, except where they're at. They're in a dry spot, and it's miles, I mean, a mile or two miles, that someone has to dive in and get to them to rescue them. Well, come to find out, there's not a lot of people who know how to do that. There's not a lot of people who understand the uh, intricacies of that type of scuba diving. But there were just a few ragtag fellows who were weekend warriors who were known to be really well at this. And so sure enough, as experts try to do it, and they have no game plan, they call up this ragtag group of folks. They just go scuba diving in caves. Didn't know it was a thing, but it is. And they take these gentlemen, just a couple of them, they develop a plan, and the kids were saved. And it just reminded me how perfectly fitted and unique they were to do a work that no one else could do. In a much more glorious way, Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is fitted and unique to do a work that no one else can do. He is exclusive when it comes to our salvation. There is no other means. This is how a man and a woman are saved. It is in Christ alone. Why? Because he stands alone in his person and work. Jesus stated even in this text that he had come to do that work, which the scriptures, he makes a point to say, has been pointing towards. The text says that it was God's will that Christ should come and die. There is no other way. Your testament laid down the foundation, and Christ is the only one who fulfills all that it said. He is the prophet who spoke. He's the priest who laid down his life as the only sacrifice. He's the king to bring God's reign and rule on earth. No one can claim those things. Go to your Old Testament. Look at the prophets. Look at the priests. Look at the kings. None of them sufficed in doing the work of Jesus. He is exclusive. Let us not be ashamed of that reality. Because that's good news for you and I. Because if your salvation depends on me, you are condemned. <laughs> if it's dependent upon you, I'll go ahead and let you in on the secret. You are condemned. He alone is exclusive. Hebrews 10, and really all of Hebrews for that matter, does something else. It also declares the sufficiency of Jesus. Listen again as I read Hebrews 10, 11 through 4. Under the old covenant, the priest, 
stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, comma, which can never take away sins. Dramatic reading there. Hope that worked. But our high priest, that means Jesus, but, but, but Christ offered himself to God as a single, notice day after day after day goes away, single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled, made a footstool under his feet in verse 14. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Jesus is exclusive, and Jesus is sufficient. Hebrews declares, and we just took a a quick little run through the book. (laughs) And in doing that quick little pass by, we have learned that Jesus is a better prophet. He's better than angels. If you were wrestling with that this morning, he's better than angels. Maybe if we were in Sedona, but better than angels. A better mediator. You trying to earn your right unto the Lord? And a better priest. All of these things are pointing toward, they were all shadows to point to a better prophet, mediator, a better priest. You see, Jesus, he is exclusive in his person and work. Notice how often we reference both, because both are essential in our understanding of who Christ is. He's exclusive, he's sufficient in his person and his work. He is the only sufficient one. So why? Why do you think you can do enough to make God like you? Oh, weary follower of Christ. You see, this is true of your salvation and your justification but it's also true of your sanctification. Why do you think the maturing process is you working harder? (laughs) You see, Christ is the means by which we mature. It's in the person and work of Christ that we lean into each and every day for him to grow us, strengthen us, encourage us. So at the point of your conversion, when you declared, it is in him alone. Do you know what you do today, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later? You continue to say, it is in him alone. And oh, weary traveler, you've walked with God for so long. Don't stop. Grow ever more dependent in Christ alone. We rejoice this morning. And in a small few moments together, what a book of the Bible. To declare for us that when we say in Christ alone and we sing in Christ alone, we mean a lot. When we sing together, Give me Jesus. Notice in all scenarios, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. When I'm afraid, give me Jesus. And then the most beautiful one, when I come to die, give me Jesus. 
It is foolish for us to depend on anything else as we walk through this life. We rejoice this morning in Christ alone. But might I um, be clear? We need to understand what it means to say in Christ alone. You may be saying, well, isn't that what we're doing, Pastor? Yes, in some ways. But let me just be painstakingly clear this morning. We, when we say in Christ alone, do you know what we are saying? We are, we are saying that in Christ alone, that this statement is radically and rightly narrowing salvation to one thing, the God-man. There is one path, not many. When we say in Christ alone, we are being actually very radical. This is a radical statement. We are declaring that you being right with God, you experiencing salvation and justified before him, it is narrow. It is a radical statement. We say it all the time. We find hope in it. We read it in the text over and over again. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Look for it. You'll see it everywhere now. It is a narrow approach because it's the Bible's approach. Think about the series that we went to and why this is so radical and so essential. Because many can get behind grace, right? Many people can get behind grace and realize that its effects actually actually have an impact on me. That grace, when we receive it, it kind of changes us a little bit. Take the most hardened person in the world. It will radically change them. They get that. And most will understand that faith is kind of essential to survive in a crazy world. (laughs) Yeah, we need to hang on to something, right? And most people can get behind that. That without hope, people really do perish, don't they? But brothers and sisters, Christ alone, it separates. Christ alone is sometimes not easily received. Christ alone is bold and singular. Christ alone is an absolute. It's not open to be bent or turned. It is radical indeed. In the age of pluralism, this ideal stinks. Now, what do I mean by pluralism? Well, here's what I mean. That there are many equally valid means to salvation. For you and I who love Jesus and we sing together, give me Jesus, that, that just seems odd. But there is, and oftentimes thinking that there are many equally valid means to salvation. Or maybe I could say it negatively this way, that one cannot declare, right, in this line of thinking, that one cannot declare that a particular ideology or religious belief is superior to another. You can't do that. That's too exclusive of a statement. You just simply can't. In essence, one cannot say that one belief is right and the other is not, religiously speaking. Exclusivity is frowned upon, and freedom, they would say, should be upheld. How do we uphold that freedom? We should be free to say that there are multiple ways as long as you truly believe. The biblical data says very differently. The preacher of Hebrews would say, foolish. And we think that this is good and gracious and kind. 
I wonder if a fish in a fishbowl could teach us something differently. Do you think that when you pull the fish out of the limitation of the water, that it's going to actually be free? The fish would inevitably, if it could talk, scream, put me back in the fishbowl. You see, is that limitation a burden for that fish? Or does that limitation actually make him or her free? See, our declaration that Christ alone is actually the means by which you and I can be freed. This limitation is burdensome. This limitation is joy. Pull a fish out of water and think you're serving the fish well, you kill it. Pull Christ out of the only means of salvation, you kill and condemn a whole people. It's not mean or uh, um, superior or arrogant. It's the truth. Sinners are made alive by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And therefore, we are to be a people who proclaim him alone. We are to keep our guard, except nothing that does not focus on Christ as the means by which we are saved. His work is all we have to trust. Not ours, other practices. He is the only worthy sacrifice. Our application is simple this morning. Give me Jesus. (laughs) In Christ alone. We become a people who are saturated with him. We become a people who depend so fully upon him that our works just are a joy to do because of all that he is. Let us keep our guard. Let us hold tightly to Christ. And let us declare the gloriousness of his person and work as the means by which men are made well. It's all we have. But you know we say it's all we have as, oh, there's nothing. Like, no, no, no. Like, that's good news. It's all we have because it's all we need. Calvin said once so well, we see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere Perhaps this morning, might the Lord cause you to reflect where are you deriving any portion of your salvation outside of Christ? Oh, follower of Christ who's been following him for years, the question is still yours as well. Where are you deriving your joy, your means by which you want to mature? Because all parts of our salvation are comprehended in Christ. Nowhere else. If you're visiting with us and you don't know Christ, and we have singularly focused on him, grab somebody afterwards. Talk to me. Talk to Jared, our other pastor. Talk to anyone in this room. Because this news is so crucial. And it's not burdensome. 
its goodness. Church, let us depend wholeheartedly on this, that sinners are made alive by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So we become a people who declare him alone. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for this time this morning. Father, you know there are just some truths that (laughs) you just never feel like you can adequately unpack just how glorious it is. But Lord, in knowing that, I rejoice because you, Spirit, are hopefully working. As we read Scripture and think about Christ, you're stirring our affections greater. If someone among us doesn't know you, that Father, perhaps this morning for the first time, they're seeing that, oh, wait a second. It is in Christ where my salvation is found. Father, thank you for this moment together this morning. Might our hearts rejoice as we think about Christ. Might you continue to stir us towards greater affection for him. And might you this morning call some to faith and repentance. Father, it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.